0: Well, I'm ready to preach. Some of y'all thought, I can't believe he's not going to pre- I'm preaching, all right? So we're going to dive into this little book, this little book, but the most powerful book, the book of Jude. So if you go all the way in the New Testament, that's the latter part of your Bible, uh, go all the way to the end, uh, you'll see the book of Revelation. And uh, turn a little bit to the left of that book, and you'll see this important book, the book of Jude, uh, that we're going to be uh, just doing a little mini series in uh, this week and next week. And then I'm excited—we're going to be uh, diving into this fall the book of Acts. So the Spirit's led me to the book of Acts, a very uh, man great, wonderful book uh, and that's going to help us, and I believe encourage us and strengthen us as a church. And so, but until then, the book of Jude is where we're going to be. And as we talk about getting the gospel to the ends of the earth, and like when we go into our Adopted Unreached People group uh, there, um, we, they, it's a whole different situation. Uh, Jim explained a little bit, and it's all about the gospel and our faith. We're trying to just get it over there and get it started. Here in America, we're having to contend for it, and we're having to fight for it. Because we have had it, and it's been here within the church, and obviously there needs to be more of it here so that people can be reached, but we have been blessed in that we have had the word. And so Jude starts out this book, and he is wanting to talk about salvation. He's wanting this more to be a message of series to where he can kind of help people along with their salvation, their sanctification, that growing process in their salvation. But he can't even address that because of having to address that we've got to contend for the faith, we've got to fight for the faith. And so the takeaway today is we must contend earnestly, We must contend earnestly for our faith and never allow it to become distorted. Now, what distorted means is pulled or twisted out of shape. So there is an original shape to the gospel, an original foundation to the gospel of Jesus Christ that is not to be pulled, it's not to be twisted, it's not to be twisted out of shape, it's not to have some truths... And some faults to it, it's to be totally truthful. And I want to ask you this question just to show you how this has impacted our society. But what do these schools, universities have in common? Harvard, Yale, Columbia, William & Mary, Dartmouth, Princeton. Well, you say they're all colleges and you're right. They're all universities. Um, But what do they have in common? You say, well, they're Ivy League schools. And that would be true, most of them. But what do they have in common? What they have in common is they were all founded and built for the propagation of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Every one of them had a biblical foundation at one time. Every one of those colleges had a biblical foundation. Now, I'm not saying there aren't some good things and some positive things that happened through those colleges, but every one of them had a biblical foundation. Every one of them was founded for... Not just on the gospel, but for the preaching of the gospel, the training of ministers, and godly Christian laymen to spread the gospel across America, the very thing that we're challenging the church to do now. Every one of those schools. Now, this, the, the sad tragedy is not only have those colleges been led away from the original kingdom purpose, but so too of many once great denominations, uh, as well as many churches... It's what we call apostasy. Apostasy means a falling away from the faith, a turning away from the faith. And in this one little book, Jude, uh, he takes this one little book, it was written to exhort us to contend for our true faith and be warned of apostasy, that it too can have an impact on us. And the Bible warns us that there's going to be, in the latter days, a great turning away, in the last days, from true faith in Christ and Christ alone. So as we keep... Uh, this principle that we've continued to talk about uh, that's becoming part of our DNA this principle of protecting what God ordained and leading others to do the same. You remember what that is? The two only two institutions that God ordained. And our goal is to protect what God ordained and lead others to do the same. Those two institutions are the family and the faith family. The family and the church and so that in order to do that we've got to take serious the word of god we've got to continually continually preach the gospel anchor in the faith and expose the enemy knowing that he's always worked to come against that he's always working to come against those two so when satan attacks and he will if you're being obedient and the church is being obedient he will attack He will attack the church through persecution, but it does not work. Persecution against the church has never worked. It has only strengthened the church. And the church has flourished. When I look at our own church and the attacks of the enemy, when I look at our own church and, uh, and, and the hard times that we must go through, you've got to know that deep down God is doing a deeper work and God is uh, solidifying and God is strengthening believers to depend on Christ and Christ alone. In fact, it's been said the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Now when I grew up and sometimes on Wednesdays and those awesome Wednesday services that we have in here, Uh, we, We used to sing an old hymn when I was growing up called Love Grew Where the Blood Fell. Think about that. Love grew where the blood fell. The same is true for the church of Jesus. Churches grow where the blood falls. The gospel gets advanced where people are willing to be serious and get off their own life, their own agenda, to get the gospel to the ends of the earth. And and, and many have died a martyr's death. So we know Lucifer the liar, he doesn't let up easy. So what does he do? He follows the old saying, if you can't beat them, what? And that's what he does. He comes subtly. He comes in to the church. He waits. He looks for opportunity. And he seizes the right moment where he can just twist a little bit the truth of the gospel the truth of God's Word. Now, now many here would, they would say, well, now, do we really have that problem, Pastor? See, because when we first hear about false teachers coming in among the church, it doesn't really pop out at us as a big, big problem in our church. However, when you take in our society and country the word Christian, and you begin to survey and poll, or you look at a survey, or Barney does a survey, or different people that do surveys, begin to survey somebody, on how Christians feel about certain things, here's what that survey will tell you. It'll say, well, there are some Christians who just don't believe in a literal hell. There are some Christians who do not believe that homosexuality is a sin. Well, well, there are some Christians who do not believe that the Bible is the inspired, inerrant, infallible Word of God. Now, that's what you're going to find in a survey. But you're going to find there's these other Protestant, there's these other evangelical kind of crazy, you know what I'm saying, for Jesus people, and they're just crazy enough to believe that the Bible is God-breathed. They're just crazy enough to believe that homosexuality is a sin, and what God said about it in the Old Testament, what Paul said about it in Romans, the same carries over today, and it does with all sin. And they're just loving enough to believe that Christ died for all and that no matter what sin you're committing, they're all sins. There's a price that must be paid. Jesus paid that price on Calvary and all can run to the cross of Jesus Christ and be cleansed and be saved and be in a right standing with God by confessing our sins and inviting Jesus in to be Lord and Savior. There's just some crazy enough to believe that. But can I tell you something? The first group I explained that deny the inerrancy of Scripture that deny that homosexuality, adultery, and all are sins, they are not and they cannot be true Christians. Now that's the truth. And so it has affected our society when you look at those surveys and you find people who want to wear the title Christian, but yet they want to say they just don't believe in a literal hell. They don't believe in a literal heaven. I would go so far to believe they take that title Christian and they add to the word of God with their own books or they take away or it's Jesus plus someone else, not Jesus plus nothing else. It's false teaching. And the enemy's led many astray because of it. So Jude, a servant of God, look at verse 1 in the book of Jude. Here we see this title, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ. Notice he calls himself a servant of Jesus Christ. And a brother of James, to those who are called beloved, to God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. He's strengthening the church, those who are in Christ. He's the author of this book. Jude and James were two of the four brothers of Jesus. Mark 6 3 talks about that. Notice that Jude, Jude never refers to himself as the brother of Jesus. You say, why does he refer? I mean, you'd think, all right, that he would refer to himself as the brother of Jesus because once he realized who Jesus was, just like his brother James, <laughs> he couldn't get over how unworthy he was, and how much that God loved him, and how much that he came to the realization that not only was Jesus the Son of God, Jesus was God. And in humility, he referred to him as a servant. Amen? As a servant. of God. And that's what, that's what he says. He speaks of himself only as a servant of Jesus, who now was his master. And he humbly mentions his well-known brother James, James, remember, become a leader of the Christian church in Jerusalem. And of course, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he wrote the book of James. That was, that was James. James, It wasn't James the disciple. You had James and John, the sons of thunder. This is not the same James that wrote the book of James. It's just good for us to know. Sometimes I forget kind of stuff. It's good for us to know that. That, that, that this is the James that was the uh, brother of Jesus, not the same father, obviously, because Jesus' father was the Holy Spirit, was God the Father through the Holy Spirit impregnated Mary. So let's look at the audience. Look at verse 1. To those who are called beloved in God, the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. Notice those who are called by the sovereign God are beloved. They're, they're dearly loved, deeply loved, and the most important part and encouraging part, and this little book teaches, which is one of our doctrines, it teaches the doctrine of eternal security and the perseverance of the saints. But one of the most important parts, look there, they are kept in Jesus. Look at verse 1. They are kept for Jesus Christ. John 10, 28 says, once you're in the Father's hand, no one can pluck you out. Paul goes on in Romans 8, that beautiful chapter, to talk about what can separate us from the love of God. Can sickness, can suffering, can trial, can tribulation, can death itself? No, beloved, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Amen? For those who are in Christ Jesus. What a safe place to be. So we see the audience, and of course we become part of that audience as disciples of Christ and as the church. That's why we need this book. Notice the affection, verse 2. May mercy, peace, and love be what? Multiplied. Multiplied for you. Multiplied among you. As Jim and Laura stood up here in my heart, in my spirit, sitting back there, I prayed, God, multiply this ministry among our church. Multiply this heartbeat to be missionaries and take the gospel to the ends of the earth, among our young people, among our middle-aged adults, among our senior age adults. And as we met one of the ladies, Jim, I don't think I ever told you this, one of the ladies coming out of the airport at Dakar, God called her on the mission field in her 60s. In her 60s. And they were in a very, very dangerous area, and they were being the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. And That was a beautiful beautiful picture. So, Jude wrote this letter to warn his readers against false teachers. These teachers claim to be Christians. Remember, they came and kind of came into the life of the church. There's wheat and tear, Jesus talks about, but they were being in a great danger of the faith. And so he addresses them. We notice the address, verse 3. Look there with me, if you will. He says, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, there it is. He's wanting to talk about their common salvation and help them in that area, but he can't because he's going to have to address what's going on within the church and the enemy, and warn the people to contend for the faith. I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. And so he gives them this warning. And he's saying there has to be, he says, here's the deal. And all along in your life spiritually, and all along in the church's life spiritually, these two institutions that God's ordained, there will have to be adjustments. How many of you know that? Are there any married people in the house this morning, right? There have to be, thank you. There have to be, and glad to be, at the, the, right, we're glad to be married. But there have to be adjustments along the way and in the walk and in your spiritual life. It's the same is true for the church. And so here's an adjustment that he had to make, Jude had to make, even to change from what he was going to speak on. And so he makes this adjustment. He says, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. And our takeaway is we must contend earnestly for our faith and never allow it to become distorted or twisted. And so he makes this adjustments. And then he deals, look at verse 4. He deals with the apostates, helping us see what's an apostate. For certain people have, what's that word? Crept. They've crept in unnoticed. Wearing that Christian facade, that smiling face. Wearing that friendly face. Where can I help? Where can I serve? They've crept in among you and noticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our master and Lord, Jesus Christ. And so they uh, were, were were very keening, very cunning. Who does that sound like that would that would crep in? And, and give false truths, and, and give half-truths, and, and, and make something look so good and tempt you to partake of it. We know the enemy, Satan, and he's still at work and he's still doing that. And he says they've crept in. They've crept in to their ungodly people. You may not even see it at first, but you'll see it when you go into their living room once you've been hooked. You may not even see it at first and think they've got a heart for God, and where the true name of Christian, which was first come from the church at Antioch, and we'll talk about it in Acts, but that's not. They have an ulterior motive. They are being used of the enemy, and they will pervert the grace of God. And they were even going so far to do the things that Paul had to deal with in Corinthians to where th- there was like this, and this is what you've got to be careful about in any walk of life, that, that you've got to be real careful. We all are creatures, and we have feelings, and we have emotions, and we should express those to God. and and our worship to God. But sometimes people ride on the high of their feelings. How how they feel or how they don't feel. I don't feel like somebody. And they walk in their mind and their feeling. We warned against that rather than walking in the spirit and walking in scripture. And so if you get caught up into working in how you feel or how things look or living by your circumstances, you can miss the heartbeat of God. You can have somebody whisper something into your ear that you might think is with the Lord, but they're whispering something to pervert the grace of God, to bring harm against God's church, to to get you to consider not being a covenant member and blowing with the wind when times get tough or hard decisions are made. And so there's this warning here, and they were even going so far that they were playing on their feelings to where it then began to lead to where they were bringing um, harm against their own body, which as believers, we know our body's a temple of God, but then they were merging it together with let's just, as America says, let's just do what feels good. Let's just do what feels good. And so they were even letting the enemy work through the, the, the sexual, here's the deal, he was actually working through these deceivers to get into the minds of the other people to where they began to connect emotionally, where all affairs start. They begin to walk away from the truth that young people, when you sleep before you're married to the person God wants you to marry, and you're a believer, you're taking Christ into that bed. Married people, when you sleep with someone who's not your spouse, you're taking Jesus Christ into that bed. You're you're saying you're going to participate in this whether you want to or not. You say, I don't say it. No, you did it by doing it. And that's how serious it should be. But people who walk away from the Word... And people who do not, they're not being reminded of the truth, and the whole gospel's not being declared. Well, guess what's one of the strongest feelings to lure somebody in and get them to drift from God? Sensuality, sexual thoughts, lust. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. We've talked about that. It means all men in this room are guilty. And so we've got to be very careful to stay in the word, to not cross the lines and experience the fullness of the consequences as David did, as we talked about. Um, as Joseph Burkett so wonderfully led our class this morning and talked about. So the greatest danger, when we think about this, we're talking about this danger coming in from the outside. And I thought about this in the terms, we've got many soldiers in here, and thank God for them that have served our country, some on the field right now. The greatest danger to any army is a traitor or a spy on the inside. That's one of the biggest concerns. So he said that, there, he used this word, crept. Now we said in our series a month ago or so that the church is the dearest place on earth and it should be the safest place on earth. Now when you think of safe places on earth, okay, I'm talking about really big places and you think of safe places, that's a safe place. That's a place me and my family can go, have a wonderful time, everything's done with excellence and it's just a safe place. You just don't hear about any hardly bad things happening there. You think of where everybody wants to go, which is, where does everybody want to go? I'm going to... What do those athletes say when they win the World Series? I'm going to. Thank you. All right, Disney World. Somebody said Rickwood Caverns. All right, we'll take what we can get, right? And uh, so I, I'm going to Disney World because we think about Disney and its excellence. If you've ever been, I love it. I didn't think I'd like it that much. But man, alive, When they throw the food in for free in September, God's all over it. All right, so anyway, I enjoyed my trip and the rotating restaurant and all that. So, But you even look at old Disney. And what happened at Disney, this safe place built on excellence, and some would say, yeah, if you investigate enough, you'll realize there's, there's a lot of things with Disney. But for the most part, nobody realizes it, and it's just this safe place. But what happened to one little old kid staying down by the water in one of those nice resorts? An alligator crept in, unnoticed, no warning. And a little boy in a safe place that his parents thought was absolutely safe was killed by an alligator. See, that's what Jude is saying. Jude is saying, be careful. Take heed, as the Bible says, lest you fall. Pride comes before the fall. But he's warning the church to be careful because the enemy's always seeking whom he may devour. And if he's coming against anybody, he's coming against you and your marriage and your family, and he's coming against the true church of God that wants to live for Jesus and get the gospel to the ends of the earth. And so he's all the time, he's, he's crept in. And so there's this warning. And he says, certain people, certain people. Who are these certain people he's talking about? He's talking about teachers who pretend to be true, but their intent was to lead believers and non-believers away from the truth of God's word. Now notice their actions. They crept in. They were unnoticed, ungodly, perverted the grace of God through immorality. Romans 6, we're reminded of Paul, this mindset was trying to filter in, be infiltrated into the church, and was creeping into the church, um, that, that this mindset of, should we go on sinning? Oh, we have this gracious God, I'll sleep with who I want to, because He's loving and forgiving. Should we go on sinning? And what does Paul say? No, absolutely not. God forbid that you would not take sin seriously. God forbid that you would take it so lightly and use grace as a license to sin. That's false teaching. So he said, certainly not. So Jude wants to read his, warn his readers and wants his readers to know that this faith, once delivered all for all for the saints, is worth fighting for, it's worth contending for, it's worth defending, and it warns us that it will be, he warns us that it will be under attack within the church. And every believer, every believer is responsible to contend for the faith. Now notice the letter is not written just to a pastor or the elders, but to those who are called. It's written to the laity. Peter said in 1 Peter 3.15, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. In short, real truth is real faith. And it has been delivered to us, and we must love it, live it, talk it, walk it, and protect it. Could I get an amen, church? Amen. That's the gospel. So Jesus warns us to be aware of false teachers and prophets in the Sermon on the Mount. Paul warns us they will come. Peter tells us they will come. James warns us, and Jude says they're here. And John warns us not to believe every spirit but to test the Spirit and then show us the great impact on the seven churches in the book of Revelation, where only two are still found faithful when John is on the Isle of Patmos. So the battle for the faith is real and real tough because the other five were not on guard. They were not found to be committed, they were not faithful. And so God, please don't miss my heart on this because you'll always know my heart about numbers and numbers represent people, but God is first and foremost serious about building a real church and an authoritative church built on the gospel before he is building a broad church that does not heed and does not live by the blessed truth of the whole counsel of God's word. That's the heartbeat of God. And we we must have those things in that order to where God can bless. And and so now we might think, well, surely we would notice if, if this crept into our church or society today. I think not. I think not. And as I said earlier, the reason I think not is how this mindset is settled in. How it's settled into our own society of who wants to be a Christian and who says they're a Christian. And yet the very term and title... The majority of people in these surveys and the majority of people who wear the title Christian are not Christian based on the authority of God's word. They're just not. They're just not. And, and the, reason, the, the, the reason that I preach so strongly this and you say, well, who are you to say that you are? Because you're this or you're that or you're this denomination or you're that i am a sinner saved by the grace of god that's the title i wear first and foremost it's not baptist it's not calvinist it's not Armenian. i'm a sinner saved by the grace of god and i confess to you i don't understand it all but i understand the one who died for all amen and i'm a sinner saved by grace i'm a beggar trying to help another beggar find bread and that should be our heartbeat and our heartbeat should be to grow in the word and not justify what we don't know, but to study to show ourselves approved. Rightly dividing the Word of God. We're laying one to rest today who faithfully, for probably 40, 50 years, faithfully Don Quigg taught the Word of God. Devoted to studying. Pouring into the Lord's sheep. Taking serious the contending for the faith. And that's what we need. Young people, men my age or a little older. I turn half 88 tomorrow, all right? So I'm getting old. Y'all pray for me. But men my age, I want to challenge you. Men a little older than my age, men in your 50s, men in your 60s, we need more faithful teachers of the Word of God to step up and teach the Word, to carry on the legacy that Ray Stubberfield and, and some of these faithful teachers that Linda Parker pours into our people and teaches the Word of God. We have a responsibility to carry on that legacy. We have a responsibility to get serious about our faith and take on that legacy, as I see Jeremy Creel and others doing. It's our responsibility. You cannot just accept someone, let's get back to the message, who claims to be a Christian or a Christian teacher, preacher, TV evangelist, etc. You should only bear witness, watch, listen, here's what bear witness means, watch, listen, agree with those who preach the whole council and live the whole council, not half of it are not adding or taking away from it. So be very careful on what you watch, who you listen to, Not trying to be judgmental, I'm just trying to tell you what the Word says. So when we take the term Christianity and all those who claim to be Christian, it's proof we've gotten way off course by not heeding the book of Jude. Just allowing anything in. What is that? Puts a lot of pressure on you if you're a Sunday school teacher, too, doesn't it? Because you've been placed in a place of authority, and don't think for a minute that the enemy won't send somebody in to bring harm against that class and to bring harm against church and to pipe their two cents in, and you better make sure it lines up with the Word of God and the spirit that's in that person is not to bring about harm within the Lord's church. Because it can happen. And some of our teachers know because they've dealt with it and that spirit that that comes against, and, 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 and it's important that we do that to stay with our foundation, to protect what God ordained to lead others to do the same. Uh, This song came to my mind as I was preparing this sermon uh, uh, several months ago, God Give Us Christian Homes. How many of you remember that song, God Give Us Christian Homes? If you all remember that, listen to this song. And this is my prayer for us in our faith family, in our homes. God Give Us Christian Homes. Young people, you may say, I don't have a wife yet. I'm not married. I don't have my own family. Well, you will one day. If that's God's plans for you, and this needs to be your prayer. God, give us Christian homes. Homes where the Bible is loved and talked. <laughs> Somebody sent me, Gabe Dalton sent me a text this past week. I, this a, I didn't, wasn't planning on sharing. He sent me a text, and it was a picture of a spoon. and it had a little write-up article with it. And the pastor had visited this couple in the church, and they'd, they'd invited him over to eat. And he went over and ate with them. And that lady, you know, she's getting her dishes ready and all that night after the pastor leaves, and she looks, and she's missing this spoon. And she tells her, she said, I, I, I believe that pastor stole our spoon. You know. She said, I really do. She said, there's no way. I've looked on the table. I've looked everywhere. And so she lets it go. It's driving her crazy. She lets it go. The thought of going to church with a pastor that, you know what I'm saying, would steal her spoon and be lying. And she, she, gets, she lets it go for a year. She can't deal with it anymore. And finally she addresses that pastor because it's bothering her spirit. She said, Pastor, she said, I just got to ask you a question. We had you over to the house about a year ago. She said, "I'm just going to ask you straight up." She said, "Did you spill? One, did you steal one of our spoons?" And he said, um, "Well, no, ma'am." He said, "I didn't." He said, "But I did take that spoon that night and put it in your Bible, and I was wondering how long it'd take you to find it." So, um, so anyway, we we need we need we need Christian homes, right? <laughs> the, the, I'll never get some of y'all recovered from that All right, So I ain't inviting him to eat at my house. Where are you going to hide some All right, So. So God give us Christian homes, homes where the Bible is loved and taught, homes where the master's will is sought, homes crowned with beauty, your love is wrought. God give us Christian homes. God give us Christian homes. God give us Christian homes, verse 2. Homes where the Father is true and strong. Homes that are free from the blight of wrong, homes that are joyous with the love and song. God give us Christian homes. Verse 3, God give us Christian homes. Homes where the mother is carrying quests, strive to show others your way is best, homes where the Lord is an honored guest, God give us Christian homes. Verse 4, God give us Christian homes, homes where the children are led to know, Christ in his beauty who loves them so, homes where the altar fires burn and glow, God give us Christian homes. Amen? That's what he wants to do. That's what he wants to do. But you got to allow him to do it in and through you. Your job's not as important as the house of God and the things of God. Your hobbies aren't as important as the heartbeat of God and the things of God. Your children have nothing more important going on on a Wednesday night than hearing the whole counsel of God's Word taught to them so they can stand against the enemy in a secular college. We have nothing more important than the Word of God leading us the right way, amen? Thy Word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God is what he's saying here. So. I want to try to wrap this up. Man, alive. Uh, there's, there's a lot here, but we're, we're close, all right? So bear, bear with me this morning. I want to wrap this up. And, and our prayer is God give us Christian churches. Now, Jude is saying if you're going to be a strong Christian or a strong Christian church, you must realize there are, look what he says, hidden reefs at your love feast to cause you grief. Say what, pastor? There are hidden reefs at your love feast to cause you grief hiding under the surface, ready to shipwreck you, ready to shipwreck the church, and they come in under the radar. What are you talking about? We're going to look at it. Look there, if you will, at verse 5. Now, I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, that's in the book of Genesis, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah, verse 7, and the surrounding cities which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desires, served as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. And I speak prophetically, not foretelling but forth telling the word of god america will go through the same thing if we continue down the path we're continuing in sexual sin we will face it but church be strengthened be strong be walking in the power and, and the and, and the presence of the holy spirit and so in verse 5 in, in verse 5 through 6 he's warning us about false teachers He's warning us really about anybody who would come in and come and try to come against our marriage. Beware. He's warning us who would try to come in and be against God's church. And so he does a wide sweep and calls them out. That's what I just read. And I'm going to give it to you. Nation of Israel, verse 5. Delivered by God out of Egyptian bondage, yet the majority wandered approximately for 40 years, doubting, disbelieving, dedicated to false deities, and dying as apostates. They missed God. And God gave them every warning. God opened up the heavens and fed them. That wasn't good enough. And they just sat around singing kumbaya and complaining while the rest of the people around them was dying and going to hell. And God said, I'm going to lead you to be light to the dark nations. to dark nations. Verse 6, apostasy of falling angels possessing men and having sexual relationships with human women. What did you say, Pastor? I said what Genesis says. There was an apostasy of fallen angels that came down and possessed men and then they had sexual relationships with human women and God never intended that to happen and never intended it to mix. Sodom and Gomorrah, verse 7, sexual immorality was rampant. Both heterosexual and homosexual sins were being committed. By the way, there, there is help if you're struggling or dominated by either one of these sins of immorality. God is gracious and will forgive both like he will all sin. I pray to God our church is full on Sundays with people who are living that lifestyle, coming to know there's a God who loves them, and by the grace of God, there go I, but God will clean you up of that sin or any sin. Amen? That's the heartbeat of the church. Verse 8, these apostates that Jude referred to have no respect for their body, being the temple of the Holy Spirit, and they are blatantly arrogant and disrespectful, leading others to do the same. Verse 9, here Jude mentions the devil himself. In verse 9, he gets down in there in verse 9. Look at verse 8 first. Yet in like manner, these people also relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael contended with the devil was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment but said, the Lord rebuke you. What's so important about that? What's so important about that is, dear believer, living the Christian life and trying to live as a disciple is you are no match for the devil himself but by the blood of Jesus Christ, the name of Jesus Christ, Satan has to flee when you rebuke him. He has to flee off of you. He has to flee from the church when we take serious the authority that we walk in and do it in the same spirit that Christ himself would do it in, the power of the Holy Spirit. And so Jude mentions the devil himself. Michael was the chief angel of God, and we learned a very big, powerful lesson. You better make sure when you go to put the devil in his place or tell somebody what you told the devil that you don't think that you did that in anything that you bring to the table but you did it only in the power and the blood of Jesus Christ. And then verse 10, these apostates arrogantly and ignorantly reveal that they have neglected truth, they are spiritually blinded, and their father is the devil. He addresses them. Look at verse 10. But these people blaspheme all that they do um, not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. And then verse 11, he says, woe to them. For they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's era and perished in Korah's rebellion. Now look at verse 12. Here's where I get that, hidden reefs. They are hidden reefs at your love feast. (laughs) And I said to cause you grief. But the Scripture says, they're hidden reefs at your love feast as they feast with you without fear, shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by the winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea, casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. Here's what he's saying. Cain, Bellam, and Korah opened blatant rebellion against God and his people. Cain was jealous. Remember that? He had a half-hearted offering. Like many people, the majority of people's offering today, he was jealous of his brother Abel and his fullness of his offering, and so he murdered him out of jealousy. Balaam was motivated by greed and devised a plan with Balak, the king of Moab, to entice Israel into a compromising situation with idolatry and immorality, which in result brought the judgment of God upon Israel. And Korah, he addressed Korah, he along with 250 other Jewish leaders would not submit to the leadership God appointed through Moses and Aaron. They were unwilling to submit, Hebrews 13, 17, to their leadership. Verse 12, verse 13, hidden reefs at your feast to cause you grief. This is shepherds feeding themselves. They're self-serving. They're self-promoting. Uh, they're, they're clouds with water uh, uh, that, that, that are without water. They, here's what they do. They bring people hope for rain, but then they can't deliver on it. And once the people begin to follow them because they look good, they look shiny, they look like they'll serve God. They, they, they have no foundation about them. And therefore, they can't lead anybody anywhere but astray. And he says that's who they are. That's, I've seen it. I've seen it in the church. Fruitless trees in late autumn, promising fruit but producing famine. Okay, I think you get the point behind these illustrations. They could smack it, but they couldn't back it. They didn't want to back it because they were on a mission to deceive. In verse 14 and verse 15, and I'm, I'm wrapping this thing up after verse 16, What here's what we see. It was also... "...about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones... To execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of the ungodliness that have committed in such an ungodly way, and all of the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These these grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires, they are loud-mouthed boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. He calls them out. Verse 14 and 15: Judgment is certain and unavoidable for apostates. Verse 16, they are not deceiving God. He knows them for who They are. Now as you bow your head and you close your eyes and the band moves in place this morning, um, maybe you're here today and you want to respond to the true saving faith of Jesus Christ. You want to respond to and make sure that you're not just kind of have yoked yourself in with non-believers who want to wear this term or this title Christian, but yet you yourself know that you've never fully surrendered your life to Christ. You've never, you may be like I believe the majority of people who wear the term Christian in this country. I'm convinced the majority are just wearing the term. In fact, there's way too many, and we've said this before, but it's just a the truth. There's way too many that are American Christians and not Christian Americans. They've been graced, allowed to be a part of the most blessed country. That our committed soldiers have fought and laid their blood on the line, or been willing to lay their blood on the line, if that's what it called for. To fight for our freedom and to have a country that God's blessed and and graced from spiritual forefathers. But yet, we have people who are riding on being a member of this country and that means a little more to them than being a member of God's kingdom. So when the real tough time and the persecution comes and the alignment to align our lives with the whole counsel of God's word or the alignment to be a part of the church and covenant community and stand strong and not be tossed to and fro and blown with the wind we see so many that just aren't anchored they aren't angry. They talk the jargon. Oh, they—they won't even sometimes wear the title Christian, but they don't want to walk in the light as He is in the light, as the Bible tells us. So you may need Jesus today. You say, "How hard is it?" Oh, it was the hard part's been done. He did it at the cross. The part for you is just not listening to the enemy and dying to yourself and admitting you're a sinner and asking Jesus to save you. and He'll do it. If you believe that, ask him right now. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I can't save myself. I should have died on the cross. I should have bore the wrath of God. But I know you did it for me. And I know you conquered death, hell, and three days later the grave. And I place my faith and trust in you and you alone. And I want to live for you the rest of the days of my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you prayed that, you'll have to share it with somebody. It wouldn't embarrass you, but put it on that Connect card. Share it with me today after the service. I'll be down here to the left. This altar's open even now as I speak. It's always open. If you need to use it to come to Christ. How about it, believer? Are you being true to Scripture by reading, memorizing, meditating, and living it out? Or has it just become a dry book that a spoon could set in and you never find it? Has it just become something on a shelf to collect dust. And I want us to be in sensitive to praying and supporting Bible teachers and preachers that declare the whole counsel of God without compromise and pray for them as they take a stand. And I want us to be a witness of the gospel and train up others to become faithful followers of God's word. That's what God wants for us. If you hear here today and you say, Pastor, I know I've heard the word of God and I believe it, I receive it, and I want to live it for God's glory with the help of the Holy Spirit. Would you just lift your hand all over this building if that's your heartbeat as a believer. You say, I believe it, I receive it, and I want to live it. Come on, lift your hands up. Lift your hands up if that's your heartbeat. Amen. Amen. Thank you, church. I want to pray for God's strength over you and over all of us. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you that we're not meeting alone. Thank you that we know the difference in a building and a body. Lord, I thank you for your blessed body that was beaten and bruised, Lord Jesus, so that we wouldn't have to be, so that we could understand grace, God, riches at Christ's expense. God, I thank you for this body, Lord. I thank you for, God, uh, the elders who are men after your own hearts, men of God, Lord, who take serious the road, God, of shepherding, Lord. And and I thank you for our deacons, God, who take serious the road, God, of, of being, Lord, leading servants among us, God. I thank you for our, our Sunday school, our small group teachers, God, who who devote, Lord, God, and, and discipline themselves, Lord, and to to, to to exhaust your word and to teach God faithfully, Sunday after Sunday, God. And and, and and Wednesday after Wednesday, Tuesday, Thursday, Monday, Friday, God, whenever it is, Father, for your glory. And I thank you that salvation, God, comes to all of those, Father who will respond and receive, Lord. We stand now all over this building, God. We worship you and we praise you, Father, in this time, in Jesus' name, amen. Can we give God glory and just stand Just stand for a moment, amen? Just stand for a moment. And I'm, I'm gonna do something, all right? Here's how we're gonna conclude the whole service. The whole service. that has been about faithfully teaching the word of God. If you teach a Sunday school, a small group, a class, I don't care what it is, I want you just to come down here around this altar real quick. I just want you to come down around this altar, and we're going to lift up a prayer over you and to you. I I want you, laity, I want you, church, uh, to see who it is that faithfully faithfully prepares, honored to do it, honored to do it, to teach the Word of God. I want you to pray over them. I want you to love them. I want you to thank them and then I want something else. I want some of you to become them. God wants some of you to become them. And he's already prepared you and gifted you to do that and to give you that opportunity. And so Pastor Henry's our engaged coach, our engaged pastor. Uh, I'm going to ask him to come up and just conclude our time praying over us as small groups. He, too, knows what it's like to, to lead small groups. And so if you ever, if God moves your heart, and he will if you'll listen, and God moves your heart to say, I need to do more. I need, I need to become a teacher of God's Word. I, I, need, I need to open my home where others can be taught the Word of God. I just wish somebody in here would hear the heart of God on teaching college-age students. I just wish somebody in here would get in tune with the heart of God to teach young married adults who have no children. Young married adults who just have children all of a sudden in their life. I just pray that God would stir the heart of his people to take what God has given you and to pour it in to my generation, younger generation, and to pour it out. Amen? That's my prayer. Pastor Henry, you close us out. Teachers, God bless every one of you. Love you. Keep teaching the whole council and continue for the faith.
1: Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the finished work of Jesus. We thank you for the hope that is found in him, God, and the the calling that you have placed on our lives to go and tell. Father, we thank you for raising up these faithful leaders, these faithful teachers that would lead and declare your word, God, to your people and God, to those that they encounter. God, I'm thankful for the heartbeat to see the great commission fulfilled, to see the kingdom of God Expanded here within our community. And God, I pray right now, blessing over them, that they would not grow weary. God, that they would run and not faint. God, that you would raise up helpers. You would raise up the support around them. God, that they would have a faithful, they would be able to declare with faithfulness, with hope in you. Father, you are doing your good work according to your word we we trust that though that the work that you've begun you're going to complete and so god i pray that we would we would walk by faith we would contend for that faith god and that as we do that you would raise up the next leaders you would raise up the ones that will come alongside these teachers the ones that will come and step out in faith into a new ministry, God, whatever it is you would have, God, would you be glorified or would you do your good work? We love you. We trust in you now and we declare and we claim this promise, God. Would you have your way with your church here? We love you and we worship you now in Jesus' name. Amen.